it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk with uh, an expert on nuclear energy, Harvey Wasserman. He has a, uh, a new book. Let me see if I can get the title of this. Um... Yeah, it would be buried back here. Yeah, the new it's a new book called People's Spiral of U.S. History. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, Harvey about his book and about nuclear energy and a lot more coming up in a little while. In the middle of our three-hour tour, the second hour features um, a National Geographic Explorer and uh, founder of the Tree Foundation, and she has teamed up with National Geographic for their Nat Geo Kids Almanac 2023. Her name is Dr. Meg Lohman, and she joins me by phone uh, coming up in, in just a little bit as well. But we start out with a, uh, a Michigan writer, somebody from right here in Michigan, and um, talk about not just a new book, but a new series, uh, a Partners in Crime series, if you will. The first uh, installment is called Renovated to Death, and it's uh, officially released on uh, May 31st, or was, um, in 2022. And um, his name is Frank Anthony Polito, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Frank, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Happy Monday. Uh, well, I don't know. That sounds like an oxymoron to me. But uh, <laughs> but let's let's talk about the uh, the book, the series. I, I'm fascinated by the Partners in Crime st- series uh, concept, and and also what led to you being in Michigan and writing mystery thrillers. Oh. Uh- well, the key is that it's a domestic partners in crime. Uh, the story is about a couple, a gay couple. They are domestic partners. They're not married, but they're domestic partners. And uh, the one guy is a mystery writer, and the other guy is an actor who's played a police detective on a TV show. <laughs> and after living it, after, so they're very qualified, right? Of course. Um, to solve murders. So after living in New York for a brief while, they moved back. Uh, the writer guy, he's originally from the Detroit area, and they moved to Michigan where they buy a 1920s uh, craftsman-style home that they renovate 
on a television show that they now co-host called Domestic Partners. And the TV show, it's like an, it's your typical HGTV show. Um, and on season one, they renovate their own house, and the show's a hit. So as this book opens, they're getting ready to uh, kick off season two, and they found the perfect house right down the street from where they live. It's been sitting abandoned um, for like 25 years after the original owners died, and so they decide they're going to renovate this house. And they go over in the morning to check it out, and they find one of the current owners, which is the uh, couple who had lived there, one of their sons, they find him lying dead at the bottom of the staircase. And, of course, the police, like in every cozy mystery, think that, oh, he must have just slipped and fell down the stairs, broke his neck. No one could possibly ever be murdered in this quaint little suburban Detroit town. But the partners come to realize, you know, maybe there was some foul play and using their skills as both a mystery writer and a former TV police detective, they set out to solve this murder. And, and I'm sure the cops are thrilled to have them help out. Oh, yeah, you know, because um, <laughs> everyone loves to have someone else tell them how to do their job. But, you know, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be lighthearted. And it, the whole idea came about uh, because my partner and I, we lived in New York. He's an actor. I'm a writer. We moved, we're both from Michigan, actually. We moved back here in 2013. We bought this house, this 1920s house that we've been slowly renovating. And my publisher, uh, my editor, got in touch with me a couple years ago and said, we're looking for a new cozy mystery series about a gay couple. Kind of a new thing. Um, cozies are usually about women or little old ladies, specifically. Uh, and we know that, and my editor knew that we moved to this town in Michigan, and we bought this house, and we fi started fixing it up. And we were actually on the TV show House Hunters, um, so we have some experience, and we don't have our own home renovation TV show, unfortunately, but I took the little bit I know and the things that I've been working on, the town we live in, I fictionalized it, um, and threw in a murder, and, and here we go. <laughs> I, when I first read the synopsis of, of uh, the book in the in the series, Frank, I chuckled a little because there's a scene from uh, the television show The West Wing, where one of the speechwriters is working on a speech for a Thanksgiving Day event at the White House, and he's going a little bonkers you know he's been up all night and he's getting a little slap happy and he starts he starts just riffing with the other writers about some pilgrims who also solve crimes they're like pilgrim detectives and it's a real funny couple of minutes in the in the show and i thought of that when <laughs> you know two two gay guys renovate a house and solve crimes Right, right, exactly. You know, why not? That's the thing about cozy yeah. mysteries, you know. There's a there's a woman who owns a tea shop or there's a uh, you know, someone who is a baker or whatever and then murder murder finds them and they set out to to solve it. And and this um how much of of the idea of renovating a house or renovating houses um, made itself part of 
the formula for this? Is this is this a device that puts our our heroes in different scenario scenarios where murders might have occurred? Well, like everything I write, I always base you know writers. We write what we know. So uh, we renovated our own house. So a lot of the projects that they tackle in this first book, uh, for example, there's a screened-in porch, and there's a really nasty smell coming from beneath the screened-in porch one day, and they got to go figure out, you know, what crawled in there and died. That totally happened to my partner, Craig, and I when we moved back here in 2013. Um, I talk about how, you know, what the house looks like, and it's exactly what our house looks like. Um, But you can't really, like, make the story about the television show because if you find a dead body in the middle of taping your television show the police are going to shut you down and your whole show is going to get you know put on hold so i write about like what happens when before they start you know before they actually can get started now they have to figure out who killed this guy so that they can move ahead or otherwise then the show is going to to get um shut down. And I envision, you know, moving forward, it's domestic partners in crime. It's not necessarily going to be all renovation all the time. That just happens to be what their profession is. And and a natural place to introduce the characters. Um, now, this is the, the first book of a series. Do you expect this, Frank, to be a, a long, ongoing series, or are you thinking trilogy and see where it goes um at this point you know i have i i'm finishing the second book literally right now like i was working on it all day yesterday because uh my deadline passed and luckily my editor gave me an extension but i have the second book you know for the most part it's done uh and i have in the second book i start to introduce the the potential for the third book they have to find a house for season three so i have a scene where they go look at houses and they there are three that they look at and one of them happens to be a house that is rumored to be haunted and of course book three will be called haunted to death and that will be the house that they renovate um and i would like you know i would love to see it go far i've never done a series before i do have a trilogy of books that i wrote um about can't even believe it, like 15 years ago I started it. But they weren't really billed as a series. And the thing about Cozies is they are a series, and readers want them to be a series. And they want to come back book after book after book and revisit the same characters and see them in new situations. And so as a writer, if you can do that, um, you know, it's a lot of fun, and and it keeps you busy. So I do hope there will be more, but right now I definitely have three uh, laid out and ready to go. And is there any uh, thought or possibility or discussion about doing something on the on the big or little screen with them? Well, I do have a background in um, dramatic writing. I have an MFA in dramatic writing from Carnegie Mellon. So every every novel that I write, I do have that in my head that that um, TV version or that movie version. So. You know, I always cross my fingers and hope that something will come of it. Um, as of right now, no. But if anyone out there is listening who, you know, thinks that a sh- uh, show about some guys who do home renovation and solve murders might 
be good for Hallmark Murders and Mysteries, you know, please get in touch. <laughs> um, now, I was reading uh, a press release and some notes about the, uh, about the book and the series, Frank, and it was referred to as a new Partners in Crime series, and you corrected me a couple times saying it's a domestic Partners in Crime series. Is that the genre that you really want to make sure that this burns into people's uh, consciousness? Well, I say domestic partners because it's a play on, you know, the word domestic partner, and they are domestic partners, but they're also partners in crime, but they're domestic partners in crime. But we also, you know, my publisher intentionally... I don't want to say chose me, but gave me this opportunity to write this type of story because I am a gay author. I have written stories featuring gay um, lead characters in the past. And from what I'm learning as I go about, uh, there are cozy mysteries that do have gay characters in them, but not a lot that have them as the lead character. Uh, so there's this new genre that they're calling the quozy Q-U-O-Z-Y, which is a queer cozy. Uh, and, you know, what we really want is, you know, be it as it may, fortunate or unfortunate, but a lot of people who read, especially fiction, are either women or gay men. A lot, I mean, I'm not saying straight men don't like to read, but a lot of gay men like to read, and they want to read books about people who are like themselves. So if I can give them a story that has some representation of their world or introduce non-gay readers to gay characters. Um, that's what we're hoping to do with this one. Well, Frank, I have a, I have to take a break here in about a minute. Um, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Of course. Yeah, oh, great. totally. Um, Frank Polito is the uh, author of a new book called Renovated to Death. It's the first installment in the Domestic Partners in Crime series. He's uh, based in Michigan. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, Frank some more. Uh, but first, if you're listening to us on WFOV uh, LP, our voice is Radio 92.1 FM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, if you uh, miss an interview um, from the Tom Sumner Program that you want to uh, listen to or if you want to go back and listen to one again you can go to our website tomsumnerprogram.com go to the show archive and uh, just scroll down to the uh, to the hour that has the interview you're interested in contained therein anyway we'll take a short break don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll be right back Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Back to uh, Solving Crimes with uh, the author of uh, the first installment from the Domestic Partners in Crime series called Renovated to Death. He is uh, Frank Anthony Polito. He joins me by phone. Frank, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem. Thank you again for having me. It's a great way to kick off my week. Well, mine too. The um, now the the uh, the book here has uh, has our heroes, the um, gay couple, who renovate houses in suburban Detroit as part of their imaginary hit reality show, Domestic Partners, and in the process of getting ready to renovate a house, they find a corpse. Is that kind of how we start out yeah they uh, meet the guy they check out the house then they go over to uh have a little meeting with him and they find him lying dead at the bottom of the staircase and it's a rickety old staircase you know they go over the night before i like to always do a little setup they go over the night before it's dark they go up to check out the upstairs they notice there's a loose floorboard one of their friends almost trips and falls so there's that element of foreshadowing you know right in there and then of course a couple chapters later boom there's a dead guy at the bottom of the staircase which leads everyone to think oh well he must have that there was that janky floorboard he must have you know tripped and fell on it and now he's dead and how do you how do you come up with a story i'm always fascinated with the creative process frank and where did the ideas for this particular book and really the series come from? Were you inspired um, by other writers, other characters? Um, well, it started, I, I believe I mentioned, um, that my editor, I hadn't written a book. I've ri- I, I, before this one, I had written three other novels, um, Actually, four. Two for my publisher, my current publisher, Kensington, and two that I self-published myself. But that was the last one came out in 2013, so it had been a while. Um, but he got in touch with me, and he said they had this idea for this cozy about this gay couple and would I want to write it. Uh, and he pretty much gave me free range on the topic. Um, so I started thinking, you know, we live, my partner and I, we live in a suburb of Detroit called Pleasant Ridge uh, down near the Detroit Zoo and on our block, our, our town is an, it's an historic town so all the houses are from the early part of the 20th century and they're all historic. Uh, we live in a historic district. Down at the end of our block there's an empty house that's been sitting abandoned ever since we moved in. I've been told it's been empty for the last 25 or 30 years and the story goes that the old couple who lived there died and their daughter, who grew up there, who also lives in the town, still owns the house. She refuses to sell it. She refuses to let it go because it's the home that she grew up in. So that was my jumping off point. I thought, well, what if there is this house and it's been sitting empty? But what if the kids decide who own it now that it's time to let it go? Uh, 
and I made them a pair of brothers because, of course, one wants to get rid of it, the other doesn't want to get rid of it. When the one gets his way, that automatically makes the other one a suspect in his death because every character in a cozy mystery has to have a motive. Um, and then I had to come up with all the other characters in the town and other reasons why they might want to see the same guy dead. Um, and then you just start putting on your writer's thinking cap and developing the relationships and the characters and giving them motivation. Uh, and you start writing and you may make discoveries along the way and change things. Um, and hopefully once you get to the end, you have a complete story that um, makes a lot of sense and it all works out. Well, it sounds, it sounds like the story kind of led the way and, and then got cast the way you would cast a movie or a TV show. Um, and I ask writers which comes first, if they have a bunch of characters and then they find adventures for them to go on or if it's the other way around if there's if there's a story that unfolds and then you you know have to pull together people that this would likely happen to yeah i think it happens a little bit of both you know like in the past i've written stories but there was no mystery so i could kind of just go with the flow in the cozy mystery, you have to have that mystery. You have to have that murder. You have to have the suspects. You have to have the motivation. So I had to make sure all of that, you know, fit in. But most of all, I wanted to just write a book like all the other books I'd written because I have, you know, a, a, a base of readers who enjoy my work. And I wanted to make sure I gave them the same type of story they would get otherwise. This one just happened to involve a little bit of a murder mystery. Were you a fan of murder mysteries? I was. I mean, as a kid, you know, it always comes back to Murder, She Wrote. Um, I watched a lot of Murder, She Wrote to prepare to write this book. Growing up, I grew up in the 80s um, when Murder, She Wrote was on television and very popular, and I did not watch it because I thought it, you know, it was my grandfather watched it with my mother. I thought it was an old person's show, I really had no interest in it. But I did enjoy, there's a, a series of books for kids called Encyclopedia Brown. He's a boy detective. So when I was a boy, I read about Encyclopedia Brown. And I read Ag Agatha Christie and the Hardy Boys, and I liked all of those things. Um, and I guess I had always thought about writing a murder mystery, but, you know, it was some, not something that was uh, high on my priority list and I wasn't really ever given the opportunity so when I was you know I immediately decided to take it and of those um, writers that you read when you were younger or or maybe something even more contemporary are there some writers that that you think of yourself as as maybe borrowing from or paying homage to in in some of your writing um yeah i mean my favorite book of all time it's called the mysteries of pittsburgh by michael shabon and uh, uh my fourth novel is called the spirit of detroit and everyone who lives here in michigan like i do you know we know what the spirit of detroit is um but i wrote that book in particular as an homage to the mysteries of pittsburgh so much so that I will um, tell you that I 
pretty much ripped off the book cover. Uh, I was so inspired uh, by it, I made my own version of that cover, and I basically took that story and sort of made it to fit my own. That particular one is The Mysteries of Pittsburgh is about a young man who's just graduated college in Pittsburgh, and My Spirit of Detroit is about a young man who's on the verge of graduating Wayne State University, which is actually where I went. So, um, you know, I and I sort of heard that voice of that writer in my head when I started writing, and then ultimately, you know, made it my own. Is there... I, I'm not sure exactly how to set this up, Frank, but is there a moral to this particular story, something you want people to take away, aside from being LBGTQ-friendly for readers to explore characters that are like them? Um, well, it's interesting you ask that, because, you know, a lot of my other stuff, they're gay coming-of-age stories about young gay men growing up in the 80s and coming to terms with their sexual identity. And I've had a lot of readers who will reach out to me and read it and say, oh, you, you captured what I was feeling when I was that age, or, oh my gosh, you stole my life. Me and my friend, we did that. And so when I wrote this cozy mystery, I thought, well, this will be fun, but maybe that's all it will be, because I really don't expect to hear from anyone to say, who's going to tell me, oh, my partner and I renovated a house, and we found a dead body at the bottom of our staircase. Um, <laughs> but, but what I did try to do to give it a little bit of a um, moral, I guess, is the reason the partners in my story decide to pursue this and try to solve this crime is because the partner of the man who dies comes to them and he says, no one believes me. I don't believe it was an accident. I know he didn't just slip and fall. Uh, I can't be, I can't let this go. I won't be able to, um, you know, forgive myself if I don't find out what happened. And the domestic partners stop and think, you know, well, what if we lost one of the other ones? You know, what if, Something happened to one of us, and we wouldn't just accept it as an accident. We would not We would need to investigate. So they use their love that they feel for each other and the love that this other couple had to set out. So to quote um, Ewan McGregor in Titanic, I always say, love is everything. And I, sorry, not Titanic, um, Moulin Rouge, I say, love is everything, and... It's a strong theme, and, you know, it gives motivation for these guys to want to solve this murder. Not, it's not just because, oh, well, if we don't solve this murder, our TV show is going to get canceled or, you know, get held up. It's, there's this guy, he's grieving, but he lost the love of his life, and now we need to, like, help him. Is there a backstory for the, uh, the partners in crime? Do they have... Uh... Um, a history of solving mysteries at all? Uh, not so much other than the fact that the one was a writer. He writes um, young adult mystery books, and they're pretty successful. And then the other one is an actor who was on a TV cop show. Um, so they use the skills that they've acquired doing those things, you know, along the way. And what I like to try to throw in when I can is, you know, they'll say, like, 
this is just like that episode of that show you were on <laughs> when you did that. And they're like, oh, right, Excellent. in the show we did this. So maybe if we do that, you know, we can figure it out. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners or you are familiar with uh, Hot in Cleveland. It was a sitcom that was on a, yeah. about a decade ago with Betty White. And uh, one of the actors on the show plays a soap actress and she's always saying this is just like the time on edge of tomorrow when i you know my evil twin sister um kidnapped me and whatever so i always like to try to like make it funny and throw in references or the guy the writer will say this is just like that time in my book when i wrote this and and they use it to inform what they need to take care of now that's fascinating. And, and, and so the idea is <clears throat> that this just um, starts out as, as kind of a one-off, but when they solve this one, they sort of have the bug, and, and you get the sense that there are future adventures afoot. Yeah, and like, you know, uh, in the end of this book, I set up the second book. Um, the one being, a, he's also a playwright in addition to being a mystery writer. He started out as a playwright. So he has this play, and there's a local community theater in, nearby uh, that decides they want to produce his play. And, of course, his actor partner will star in the play. So I set that up. And then book two, which comes out a year from now, is called Rehearsed to Death. And it has the domestic partners are rehearsing for this play uh, at the local community theater where the director turns out to be this diva, nightmare, um, megalomaniac who wants to just, you know, do everything his way, change the script. Um, and he ends up, of course, being murdered. And here we go again. Are you able to um, write full time, Frank? Uh, I'm ashamed, I'm not ashamed, I'm sad to say that I am not a full-time writer, um, which is part of the reason I took such a break between my last book, because, um, you know, I, I write, I don't want to say I write for fun, because that makes it sound frivolous, but I write because, you know, as an as a artistic type person, you know, I need a creative outlet. Um, I was an actor for many years. Um, I don't do that anymore, but I, you know, writing is something I can do on the weekends. I can do it in the evenings. I actually wrote a lot of this book laying in bed at night on my phone. I have a Microsoft Word app on my phone, and I wrote a lot of the book just sitting in bed, typing it away on my phone. Um, but I'm also thankfully at a point in my life where I have a, you know, a day job, a full job, full-time job that I can actually finally support myself after all the years of starving in New York. So writing the book for me is sort of a side hobby and it's fun. And I'm not, uh, you know, like placing everything that I have in my being on the success of this book because, you know, it's not the be all end all of my world. It's just, you know, it's fun, and, and I really enjoy doing it. Well, it sounds like fun. sounds like a fun story. How did you and your partner um, decide on Michigan? How, how did that all unfold? Well, we're both from here. I grew up in a Detroit suburb called Hazel Park. Yeah. He grew up in a Detroit suburb called Centerline, and we met at Wayne State University 
um, back in college. And then we decided, we were both actors in the theater program. We decided to move to New York. We did that, and we lived there for uh, over 18 years. And around year 17, I started reading in the papers, um, or, you know, the online news, while I was still in New York, about how cheap the houses were in Detroit, how you could, you know, get a house for $80,000 or $100,000. And we were living in this 500-square-foot apartment and paying $1,400 a month for rent. Uh, And both of our families were still here. My partner Craig's parents uh, were getting older. My parents were getting older. We had missed out a lot. You know, we only would see them twice a year. We have nephews and nieces who are growing up. And we basically said, like, why are we living in New York City and spending all this money when we're just working in an office? You know, he he's an actor, yes, but he wasn't doing any acting. I was writing these books, but I wasn't making my living off of it. And I could write a book from anywhere. So... Uh, we started seriously thinking about moving back to Michigan, and um, we uh, started watching the television show House Hunters on HGTV to sort of get into that spirit of buying a house because we were in our early 40s and we never owned a home before. And then we got this idea, like, maybe we could apply to be on this House Hunters TV show, thinking it would never happen, and they they picked us, so... Before we knew it, we were back in Detroit looking at a series of houses with a camera crew, and and here we are nine years later. Now, how does that work? Do they um, do you get paid for doing the show? We did actually. I believe we got paid something like five hundred dollars, um, but it wasn't really for you know. It's, that's another thing. It's not really about we did it for the money. We did it because we wanted to have the experience and it was fun. You know, as former actors, we're used to cameras. We're used to having a TV crew. We had the ability to, uh, you know, if they were, if every so often they'll say like, okay, let's do that again. But this time, could you say this or could you remember what you said? Make sure you emphasize that or, you know, so it was basically like you were filming a, well, you are filming a TV show, but it was more like, an acting exercise like, like a scripted and, show as opposed to reality it, exactly but it was it's still reality in that the first time you go into a room and they turn the cameras on you just talk and you talk about what you like and what you don't like and it's totally natural and it's totally real and then they'll like need to shoot it from another angle so they like you to keep kind of repeat what you did just for the sake of editing but you have the, you know, the freedom, like if you for, you notice something else or you something you had wanted to say, but you forgot to say, you know, you totally, you totally can do that. Um, I always say that it's kind of like a reenactment of what it's like to buy a house more so than it is just like the realness of <laughs> right. buying a house. Oh, that's funny. Um, Frank, do you have a... Um I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. It's my full long name, frankanthonypolito.com. 
And then, of course, I'm on all of the socials, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I don't do the TikTok yet. Um, I just haven't quite. As a former actor, I don't really feel comfortable, like, performing. Um, but all of my Insta is at Frank Anthony Polito. My Facebook is at Frank Anthony Polito. And my Twitter is at F A Polito because they don't allow that many letters in Frank Anthony Polito. Um, and if you do read the book or you've read the book or you've read any of my other stuff, I love to hear from people. I love to get feedback. You know, if you read this one and you think that it was way too easy, you know, please tell me. Or if you, you know, if you did buy a, historic house that you were renovating with your partner and you did find a body at the bottom of the staircase i would love to hear what you did about. <laughs> um i'm sure it's it's happened you know it's this problem well, actually unbeknownst to us i did find out from a neighbor not the house that's sitting empty that i based this house on but a house across the street there actually was a murder in the house across the street so and then there was another guy I was told in a totally different house who did fall down the stairs and, and died. So, you know, fiction, uh, reality does, um, you know, lead, fiction does copy reality, I guess, whatever that expression is. It can happen. <laughs> well, um, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, Frank, and thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners. And, um, Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I, I really appreciate it. Any chance I can talk to the folks of the Great Lakes State of Michigan because, um, you know, we got we to gotta stick together, and, and I'm glad to be back. Well, and if nobody has told you, welcome back. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. That was... Um, Author Frank Anthony Polito. The name of the book is Renovated to Death. It is the first installment of the Domestic Partners in Crime series. And um, interesting premise. Um, it uh, they coined a phrase for it. Um, it's it's heart to heart via HGTV in this brand new quote quosi or queer cozy series featuring a gay couple who solve crimes while renovating houses. Uh, inspired by the author's real life experience as a buyer on House Hunters. Anyway, uh, an interesting uh, interesting story to be sure. And we've got lots more coming up uh, on today's edition of the Tom Sumner program coming up next hour. We're going to talk about National Geographic Kids Almanac 2023 with a um, National Geographic um, Explorer, uh, Dr. Meg Lohman. And then uh, in the third hour, we're going to talk with a nuclear power expert about his book, and the, the book title is kind of fascinating, if I can find exactly what the title is. People's Spiral of U.S. History covers the full story of atomic power's catastrophic failure. 
The uh, author's name is Harvey Wasserman, and he'll be joining me during the third half of our three-hour tour. Now, in the meantime, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. We are in the process of buying a home. And you deal, when you buy a home, you deal with realtors, you see. Now, realtors are people who did not make it as used car salesmen, you see. (laughs) This, you, see, you see the ads, and you say, honey, this is our dream house. Then you go out to it, you see, and you meet the realtor, and he comes on like this. Well, hi there. Well, here she is. Boy, somebody's going to steal this little beauty, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but... Uh, this baby is priced way below the market. Way below. This the wife, is it? How, how do you do? Breck Snyder. John Breck Snyder. Oh, look at that. Is that, is that the little baby? How, how old? 14 months. Huh? Boy, she, she's going she's gonna to break a lot of hearts when she gets older. A <laughs> 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 uh, little boy, is it? Huh? Wonderful, wonderful. You always hate to give him the first haircut, don't you? <laughs> well, there she is, boy. Is, is that a beauty? Hmm? Yeah, there she is. It's yeah. This is this is what we call rustic. Hmm? This is this is kind of your rustic home. Well, of course, that's a question of semantics. You know, uh, w- w- when does it uh, quit becoming rustic and, and start becoming ramshackle? You know, it's <laughs> kind of hard to. It's a, it's a wonderful family home, though. It's got uh, seven, uh, seven bedrooms and one bath. <laughs> Anyone with any imagination or, or, or happens to own a contracting business could just, just, do, uh, just do wonders with this house. It's, yeah, this is uh, three quarters of an acre. Mm-hmm. Well, not actually, well, come over the cliff here. Let, let me show you where. <laughs> <clears throat> where your property runs. You see, you, see down, you see the road way down there? That is all your land, all the way down to the road. I mean, I mean somebody, you know, somebody's car stalls and they start to lean uh, on, on the cliff there, you can just say, hey, get off that land. That, that's, that's my land, you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you saw the ad, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, you got the view of the ocean and, and the view of the valley. It's very, very rare. The, the ocean view. Um, yeah, you want to uh, come over here by the, by the cliff. That's the way. Yeah, you just, just get down. You see? Uh-huh. Now, can you see between the boughs there? 
There, there's, do you see the ocean? Wait a minute, wait a minute. There, there it is. Do you see it? Do you see it that time? Uh, pe people tell me, the people that own this house, they tell me they used to come out here, you know, Sunday afternoon and uh, get down on all fours and crouch and just, just, just watch the ocean and uh, all, all your troubles just seem to float away, you know? <laughs> just wonderful. The valley view, yeah. Listen, you want to boost your wife on my shoulders? Let, let me show you the, the, the valley view. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a Frank Lloyd Wright uh, kind, of, kind of feeling the home gives you. You know, it just kind of seems to fit, uh, you know, seems to flow uh, right, right into, the, right into the, the atmosphere. As a matter of fact, the back of the house is starting to flow. I, I think it's... Yeah. Oh, and... Uh, uh, pardon? No, the people that lived here before tell me that uh, you, you can hardly hear uh, anything from the sheet metal plant across the street there. Yeah, they say they, they hardly even knew it was here. Uh -huh. Now, uh, folks... I did, folks, I didn't explain about the kitchen. Folks, folks, folks. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm, might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Wh who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, yes he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and... Here's the silverware over here. Ah, oh, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Barker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. 
Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery. Spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys Have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC And listen well Unless you want to bid our free society Farewell There is a Super bad transmittable Contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick And social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine That lasts until July A super bad transmittable Contagious awful and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague. Isolated life ain't all that bad Are we 
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>